And we come to our act of remembrance that we have on this Lord's Day every year. And today uh, we're going to stand and remember those who gave their lives for us in service. So would you please stand? Today we return thanks to Almighty God for his gracious acts of deliverance. In particular, for the sacrifices made by those who defended our freedoms in two world wars and subsequent conflicts. And we think especially of those who served and gave their lives in the Ulster Defence Regiment, in the Royal Irish Rangers, in the Ulster Special Constabulary, and in the Royal Ulster Constabulary. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. Remain standing as we sing the hymn, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. We'll remain standing after the singing of the hymn for our affirmation of faith, which we have every Sunday morning from our catechism. Remain standing for our weekly affirmation of faith, and this week it is from 
the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15, question 37. The Catechist asks us, What do you understand by the word suffered? That all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, in order that by his suffering in the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness and eternal life. These things we most certainly believe, teach and confess. We're going to sing together the hymn, O God of Bethel, by whose hand thy people still are fed, who through this weary pilgrimage hast all our fathers laid. We're going to turn for a few moments this morning to that story that we read from the Old Testament. Story of David and Goliath, a story that you will have heard many times Learned it in Sunday school. Learned it as children in school. And it's a very interesting story. One of the most well-known episodes of warfare in the whole of the Bible. The war between the Israelites and the Philistines. It's in First Samuel. Well, who were the Philistines? Well, they were a fierce, warlike people. They had overrun the seaboard area of the eastern Mediterranean. And among their army was a man called Goliath. Now Goliath was regarded as a giant in his day. He stood head and shoulders above all others. A man who in warfare seemed to be invincible. His appearance, the description of his weapons can be found earlier in the chapter that we read. I think it's just enough to summarise him and to sum him up by saying that he was terrifying to anybody who looked. And he would come out onto the battlefield and he would stand in the battlefield and he would taunt the Israelites. If there's any man among you big enough are brave enough to come and fight me, then let him come. And when he comes and fights me, I will defeat him and you will be my slaves. Or alternatively, if he should happen to beat me, not that that's likely, we will be your slaves. Needless to say, the Israelites were absolutely terrified of this man. So they should be. There was only one man in the whole of Israel who was willing to face up to this bully. A wee boy. A wee boy who actually just happened to be delivering some cheese to his big brothers who were in the army. And as he brought the cheese to to his brothers, he heard the bully standing across the other side of a wee stream. 
and the bully was roaring and ranting and shouting and the wee boy wondered why no one would stick up to him. That's often the way with bullies, isn't it? They're all, going to say they're all mouth. That's probably true. Nobody would stick up to him. So David decided that he would do it. In First First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart feel because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David decided he would go. And the king offered him his armor, and David, as we know, declined. And instead he took his staff, probably the the stick that he used when he was out in the fields with his sheep, And he went down to the stream and he chose for himself five smooth stones and he puts them into his shepherd's bag, into a pouch, and he holds this sling, a very simple kind of a catapult in his hand. And the Bible tells us at this point that he drew near to the Philistine. That's where we broke into the story. I've no doubt that Goliath had been out in the side of the valley. I've no doubt that his deep voice has been booming across the stream and terrifying the ranks of the Israelites. I've no doubt he's been laughing and taunting and backing, beckoning them. Come on, come on and take me. Provoking the Hebrews who know they can do nothing but stand and seethe with rage and take all the insults he throws. And then, into Goliath's field of vision comes something he didn't even expect. Something that must have caused him to roar with laughter and derision. It was a wee boy. He might have expected a great warrior. He might have expected a man in a suit of armour. He might even have expected that Saul would have the guts to lead his own army into battle. But what is crossing the stream now is a wee fella. A wee boy with red hair and a fair complexion. A wee boy with no protection whatsoever. A wee boy holding a stick and a handful of stones. Goliath must have split his sides with laughter. In the passage that we read, it actually says that when he saw David, he disdained him. He just looked at him with utter contempt. He curled out his lip. He poured scorn upon him. He regarded him as nothing. He sneered at him. And he shouted out, Am I a dog? You come to beat me with a stick? That comment started a verbal exchange. 
And that verbal exchange is what I want to use for a few minutes this morning to talk about battles and war. The Philistines' pointless curse is found in verse 45, in verse uh, 43. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. What's the point of cursing somebody in the name of a god that doesn't exist? The Philistines' gods were made of wood and stone, a bit of stone masonry. The wooden god couldn't do anything for Goliath, and Goliath knew it. What Goliath depended upon wasn't the god of the Philistine temple. It was his own size. He was depending on his terrifying appearance. He was depending on his own strength. He was depending on his armory of weapons, his ability with those weapons. When it came down to the bit, Goliath's God was Goliath. It was self-reliance. It was confidence in himself. It was self-assurance. It was self-esteem. And those things are false gods. Every bit as much as the idol that stood propped up in the Philistine temple. Look at David's response. We find it in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I want you to see here the might of the Lord. Compared with the false gods of the Philistines, compared with Goliath's own self-confidence, the might of the Lord, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Let's pause for a moment. What does that mean? The Lord of hosts is a very special term. Yahweh Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts. The God who is almighty. The God who is at the head of his armies. The God who is majestic and powerful. The name is expressive of the authority of God. The God who is able to accomplish what he predetermines to do. What he purposes. He created the world. And everything in it. And the armies of angels and men are his. And this giant of a man beside the Lord of hosts is puny. The might of the Lord. And look who the man of the Lord was. A boy. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Now it's very interesting that very often that Lord of hosts uses people like you and me to achieve his purpose. His representative that day didn't look as if he could win a war. 
But that's often the way. God uses the weak things of this world, the things that are low, the things that are despised, the things that are not, to confound the mighty. The might of the Lord and the man of the Lord. But then David brings forward a very important point. He says, this is the Lord of hosts whom you have defied. The mutiny of mankind against the Lord. How fearful is that? You have defied the living God. The creator. God Almighty. Saul and all of Israel were afraid of a giant when they ought to have been afraid of disobeying the Lord God. Goliath wasn't afraid to anyone, afraid of anyone. But he's about to know the terror and the fear of the hand, of falling into the hands of the Lord. He's about to stand before God, whether he knows it or not. In a few more minutes, he's going to stand before God as a guilty, unforgiven sinner whose last words are to mock and sneer at God and at eternity. What a fearful thing. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10 and verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, because they cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Hebrew writer, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Mutiny. The whole world shaking its fist at God. Just a few days ago, I think just a couple of days ago, we had the finish of that fiasco in Glasgow flop 26 a cop 26 where the world's leaders from all over the globe talked about climate change and they flew in in hundreds literally hundreds of private jets to talk about us not using fuel can you mean can you imagine that Imagine that, the amount of carbon that they used in two weeks flying into Glasgow was more than Scotland uses in a whole year. You talk about hypocrisy. And they came to save the planet. And they're concerned about what might be happening in 50 or 100 years on the planet And they won't be here in 150 years or 50 years. They'll be in eternity. And the planet will end in God's own time. For in Revelation 21 and verse 1, we are told there will be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. What's more important To worry about what might happen in days gone by. Or to worry about your eternal soul and your eternal destiny. Rebellion against God. Mutiny. 
But the worst kind of mutiny, listen, is not the mutiny of world governments. There is that kind of mutiny. It's the mutiny that goes on within my own soul and your own soul. My own heart and your own heart. If we're looking for warfare, if we're looking for rebellion against God, we only need to look inwards. Paul tells us in Romans that the mind of the flesh is actively hostile to God. The mutiny against God. So we see the might of the Lord, the man that the Lord uses, the mutiny against God personified in this sneering, mocking man, Goliath. And we see the measures of the Lord. Look at how David describes what will happen. He takes Goliath through them. He says in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The measures of the Lord, as Goliath soon discovers, are unchanging and invincible. And then we see the majesty of the Lord. That all the earth may know that there is a God. Verse 47. We see that God is majestic not only in his exaltation, because the earth will one day worship him. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we see here in verse 47 that he is majestic in his mercy. In 47 we're told this, For the Lord does not save with sword Spear. You know, that would be pointless. That's what differentiates Christianity from some of the other religions of peace that you hear about. You don't see elderly Christians going out of church on a Sunday morning wanting to behead someone. Why not? Because our weapons, our weapons are not Swords and spears. And the reason they're not swords and spears is found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. That verse that we read at the beginning of this service. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Men and women, human beings are not our enemies. They're our neighbors. And we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So the Lord does not save with sword and spear. How then does he save? He saves by sending his own son 
the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. He saves in the sinless life of Christ that we have been learning about in our catechism class. And what you'll get on the, on the CD this week, on the catechism class CD. He saves through his suffering for us. He saves because he went to Calvary and at the cross all of our sin that we ever committed was laid upon God's Son. And God in his anger and wrath against our sin poured out his judgment on his own Son so that you and I are set free and forgiven and can have eternal life simply by trusting him. The Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. Victory has already been declared. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a day when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. There will be a day when the powers of darkness that govern and rule this world will be defeated. But until that day, let us make sure that we are on the victory side. Let us make sure that we are on the Lord's side. Let us come as a sinner to the cross and ask the Lord Jesus, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's sing our closing hymn. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks the summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land.